Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want to read you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to honor the Word of God together uh, this morning. You ready for the Word of God? You ready for it? Your heart open? Your mind ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Anybody glad he did that? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We're in week two of our series we just started called The Economics of Sacrifice. Last week, I spoke about equal uh, giving doesn't equate to equal sacrifice. It's not about equal giving in the kingdom. It's it's uh, regular giving, your own giving. Uh, no matter what that is, not equal giving, that equals sacrifice. And so sacrifice is something that comes out of our heart. Uh, this week, I want to speak about equal reconciliation. So last week, equal sacrifice. This week, I want to speak about equal reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able to go into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. We didn't come to play church. We are the church. We want to be more like you. We thank you that your word changes us bit by bit. We pray, God, that we would go out of here today a little bit different than when we came in that you would keep moving the needle, you would keep moving our life forward, that at all times we're becoming more like Jesus, less like we were. Work with me today. Give this a message of prophetic edge. Work with the people in the room and online to give them ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you would speak to them personally. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Why don't you high-five the person beside you? Tell them how blessed they are to be sitting beside you today in church. And grab your seat. I was in my early 20s, and I'd moved from Australia to New Zealand, and I was working for a gentleman by the name of Paul Postum. He was a Dutchman, and he owned multiple businesses. I started out working as a chef in his restaurant, And then as I was there a little bit longer and I kept getting promoted, doors opened and I ended up helping him. He had three businesses. He had a a restaurant, he had a businessman's club and he had a catering company. And uh, I spent most of my time in the restaurant. The businessman's club had like 500 to 1,000 members. It was a really big, big kitchen. We got it uh, purposefully because of the kitchen. The kitchen then enabled us to do bigger events when we wanted to do catering. And so I was running these three business businesses for him as a, as a uh, young 20-year-old, a 20-something-year-old young man. And, and so we had this, we had this uh, an event that was happening, uh, a big uh, buffet. 
and they wanted beef bourguignon. And so uh, there was like 400, 500 people coming to this big event. So we used the businessman's club to cook this really, really big uh, pot of beef bourguignon. There's something like 70 pound of beef in there, you know, 15 to 20 pound of bacon. There were boxes of mushrooms, a whole heap of red wine. Uh, you know, I think it was water when I poured it in and then it miraculously changed because I'm a Christian. And, but, but there was garlic also, and, and, and hours of preparation, you know, just getting, and hundreds of dollars of, you know, uh, ingredients in the pot. And so when you're cooking such a large pot, one of the things that you don't do is you don't stir the bottom because all the burn happens on the bottom. So you, you, you stir about three quarters of the way, way down. And we're cooking this and it was a Friday. I had to go and do some things. And so I left one of the other chefs who worked at the businessman's club in charge of looking after this pot of beef bourguignon. I got back at around about 9 p.m. on the Friday night. We had the event the next day. And I walked into the kitchen and as soon as I went into the kitchen, I could smell burn. Something was burnt. And I didn't quite know what it was, but as I made my way to this really big pot of beef bourguignon, I realized this is what is burnt. It burns on the bottom, and this chef had got the, the, the spoon, and she'd been scraping up from the bottom, and she pretty much had stirred all that burn up into the, all this beef bourguignon casserole, and the whole thing was pretty much wasted. There was no way of replacing it. We wouldn't have time the next day. The function was in the afternoon. It took hours and hours, uh, you know, to, to, to prepare it. And then you had to get the ingredients. And this was one of the main dishes on the menu. And so it was incredibly problematic. And I remember Paul Postema, he, he was Dutch. He didn't like to waste any money at all. At all. Like, he, he loved specials. I remember there was one day, uh, beets were on special, and so he bought 15 bags of beets. It took us four months to use the beets. And we had beet every, anyway, and so he didn't want to wait, so he's like, what, what are you, what are you going to do? And I said, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't know what to do, but I was a brand new Christian, full of faith, and I said, I'm going to go home and pray about it, and God's going to give me an answer, of which he just laughed at me because he wasn't a Christian. And so I went home that, that night, and I was like, oh, God, you've got to help me. I've got to get an idea. And I got an idea. I'm not sure if it was God-born or, or me. I, I think it was God-inspired. But anyway, and so I, I, I get to the restaurant where no one else is around. It's like 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And I take this big pot, and I start emptying it into these big colanders, these big straining dishes. And then I got hoses that were attached in, in, in the sinks of the kitchen, and I just washed it out. I washed all the sauce off. I washed all the flavor off. I washed everything out of it. So all you could just taste was nothing. You tasted nothing. You tasted ab zero, nada, nothing. Tasted nothing like this great drink that I had from Venezuela in the... Yeah, not like that. So nothing, no taste at all. And so then I got another pot and I put onions and garlic and... Now, I just loaded that thing down. 
all sorts of flavor until I got it over flavored. And then I just picked all this. You can only describe it as pulp. I just picked all this up and dumped it in the sauce and stirred it around. And he came in at around about 10 o'clock and he's like, did, did you fix it? And, and I can't remember what I said. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow. I don't know what I said. Something spiritual. And I said, yes, I fixed it. And he tasted it and said, how did you fix it? And I said, you don't want to know. I'm really hoping today he's not watching online uh, and no one from that event. People actually in the buffet that night told me this was the most tender stew, and I know why, that they had ever eaten. And we got compliments on that stuff. This is what religion does. Religion camouflages. It, it, It just covers up the problem with flavor. It doesn't change anything that needs to be changed and it delivers up the exact same thing but just with extra dressing religion is all about uh behavior modification jesus said that religion made people like whitewashed tombs that are full of dead men's bones in other words he said religion only pretties up the outside. You, you think it is really good, but nothing really changed on the inside of you. Religion has the power to pretty up the outside, but no power to transform the inside. And Jesus said, what's in you is what's destroying you. What comes out of you is what's destroying you. So religion, it, it dresses up the pot with uh, over-flavored sauce and it's just full of, you know, washed up behavioral pulp. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are in Christ today, you are a new creation. Anybody in the house? Glad that you are a new creation. Anybody in the house glad about that? It says the old, the old me, the old you has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love that. I love the fact that salvation comes and Jesus just didn't want to dress up the old me. Jesus didn't want to just, you know, just take the old habits, the, the old way and, and, uh, and all those things and camouflage it. I thank, he, thank him that he gave us a total redo of all those things. A brand new me, a brand new you. Jesus called it being born again. Paul called it being a new creation. Today we're talking about reconciliation Reconciliation is debt payment. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he said, all this is from God. Verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So God reconciles us doesn't uh, count our trespasses against us, reconciles the world, doesn't count their trespasses against them. So reconciliation by its nature is an exchange of one thing for another. The best way to understand this is once upon a time, our righteousness, the Bible says, was as filthy rags. But now, because of reconciliation, you and I are as white as snow. 
At one point, you and I were the enemy of God, and now we are the friend of God. One, at one point, we were in division with heaven, and now we are in unity. One point, we were full of bitterness, now we're full of joy. At one point, we had a debt with heaven, and now, because of Jesus Christ, there is a zero balance. God has come to change us from the inside out. And something has been given in exchange. Something has tipped the scale. Something has reconciled the account. And that was the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is our salvation. Reconciliation means an exchange of money to pay the debt. That's what it does. It, it, pay, it wipes out the debt. When I, when I first started work, I was only 16 years of age, and, uh, and, I, and I had a goal. I wanted to buy a tape deck. I wanted to buy a tape. I wanted to, and, and if you're, you're here today and you, you don't, you're like, what is a tape deck? You know, what is that? Uh, go down to the National Museum of History and, and look in the archaeolo- archaeological section. Uh, they have fossils. And in the fossil records, you will find um, a tape deck and, and some tapes um, anybody remember? Anybody had tapes when you were young? You remember those? How horrible were they? You ever had to like, open the tape deck out and you pull it out and all your nice songs are just wrapped up on the tape? I was so glad when CDs came out. And I'm even more happy now with Spotify. It's just awesome. Um, obviously, a lot less coffee coasters now. We don't have CDs, but, but it's still good. And, and so anyway, all I wanted was a tape deck. That's all I wanted. And so I went in uh, to the local electronic store, and I couldn't afford to buy one. So I, I did a, a 12-month contract and paid it off. And so over the 12 months, just paid payments. This is what reconciliation is. Just say, say somebody like my dad, he didn't do it. He could have. He had the money, but he didn't. And I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm not bitter at my dad for not doing it. He could have done it. He could have walked in day two after I purchased it, and he could have said, he could have said, I'm going to pay my son's debt. How much is it? I'm going to pay my son's debt. He could have paid off my, 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 my tape deck and I would have owed no money. The bill would have been reconciled, zero balance. He didn't do that. I'm not bitter because I've got this stuff. I love this. This is awesome. It's making me feel fantastic. I don't know what they put in there. I hope it's not illegal. Anyway. And so, so he could have, that's what reconcilia- reconciliation is, paying the debt. He could have walked in and said, how much does he owe? I, I, I want to I wanna pay that bill. I, I've been out in restaurants. I've done it myself personally, and I've had it done uh, to me where I've gone out to dinner. I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience. You've gone out to dinner, and you've gone up uh, to, the, uh, to pay the bill at the end of the meal, and, and they've said to you, somebody else paid your account. Somebody else paid, who was it? It was that table over there. I've done it multiple times, and now you're going to try to find out where I'm eating and sit close to me. But I've done it multiple, well, you just pay the bill. How much do they, how much, I, one of the funnest times ever, I've got to tell you a story, it's in my head. I didn't use it the first service. You get it, brand new, probably because of it. But anyway, I, I went to an Assembly of God uh, regional meeting in New Zealand, and we went out to breakfast, and, and we went to a really classy restaurant, went to Denny's, and so we're at Denny's, but Denny's at the Assembly of God Regional Breakfast, there's, I don't know, 25, 30 pastors there. At that day, Denny's had the thing that they called the, the budget breakfast. I called it the Assembly of God Breakfast, but it was the budget breakfast. And, and it was like $2.50. And for $2.50, you got one egg, you got a, a, a piece of toast, 
uh, you got a, a cup of coffee and I think some beans, like baked beans on your plate. And that was it, $2.50, it was really cheap. And every pastor that was there except me because I need food for breakfast, every pastor went with the budget breakfast, the Assembly of God special bread, the $2.50 is all they're, they're paying. And so we're all at the table and I go up, I go up to the counter to pay for my meal. And just out of curiosity, I said to the, to the waitress, how much is the whole table? Like, how much is the whole table? And I think from memory, she said something like $50. $50 for the whole table. I couldn't resist. I said, I'm going to pay the whole bill. I'll, I'll pay the whole thing. And so I, 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 I cut the check or credit or whatever and paid. It was the best $50 I've ever spent in, in my whole life because those pastors came out and they said, how much is, and they're like, oh, you don't have to pay anything. The bill's been paid. And they're like, who paid it? Oh, that young man over there, Pastor, Pastor Moore. And they're like, their brains were like, you paid the whole bill. <laughs> and that's just how we roll. We believe in the prosperity of God. <laughs> 50 bucks. It was so much fun. But that's what reconciliation is. It's like there's a bill, there's a debt, and then you just pay it off. This is what Jesus did on the cross. One of the songs we sang years ago said he, he paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. That's what Jesus did. Reconciliation is debt payment. It zeroes out the account. It creates a zero balance. Forgiveness pays the debt. And the result of forgiveness is reconciliation. You can't reconcile unless you have forgiveness. But if you can have forgiveness and you can forgive the debt, you can bring reconciliation in. You and I, as the church, have been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. It's not like an optional extra. It should be who we are, how we think, and what we do. Verse 18, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, entrusting us the message. He entrusts us, God entrusts us with the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is the message and the ministry of the church. This is what we're supposed to be about. Reconciliation to God. That's when we receive the forgiveness of heaven and our debts are canceled out in heaven and we get a clean slate. Reconciliation to ourselves. Some of you just need to learn to forgive you. Get your forgiveness from God, but then you've got to come to a point where you actually forgive you. If you're watching online today, there's some people you have to learn how to forgive you. And then reconciliation to others when we choose to forgive those who've sinned against us. This is the message and the mindset of reconciliation. Jesus' death on the cross gives us the ability to have our sins forgiven. The blood of Jesus gives us the ability to be reconciled to God. But the economics of sacrifice is about equal reconciliation. And so because God has reconciled us to himself, then we need to be able to reconcile other people to ourselves. You and I need to be in the mindset and ministry of reconciling broken relationships to us. The church, that's us, should have a mindset of reconciliation. We should have the ministry of reconciliation. We should bring the message of reconciliation to the world around us. And then you and I should manifest the message and the mandate of reconciliation by how we live with the world around us. 
message of reconciliation is that Jesus forgives all of our sins. The message of reconciliation is that God wipes the slate clean. The message of reconciliation is that heaven paid the price for total debt forgiveness. We are forgiven. Heaven settled the account on the cross and leaves us with a zero balance in heaven. And because we've been reconciled to God, we should reconcile ourselves to other people. That's not always easy, and that's why it's a sacrifice. Reconciliation is a sacrifice. And equal reconciliation is definitely a sacrifice. Your reconciliation with God is a sacrifice for heaven. But your reconciliation for people who hurt you is a sacrifice of yourself. Equal reconciliation, you forgiving like you've been forgiven. Father, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. That's equal reconciliation is a sacrifice and not always easy to do. Not always easy to do. There was a woman and uh, she was at the feet of Jesus and she was washing his feet with her tears and she was drying his feet with her hair and, and worshiping at his feet and everybody in the room uh, was angry and agitated at Jesus, at the woman, not because she was ministering to his feet, but more about who she was. Just Jesus doesn't know who she is, and there's an issue here, and why is this, why is this happening? And so they were, all, they were just not happy campers. And Jesus rebuked them and said, listen, I came into the room, you did nothing. You didn't make me a cappuccino, you didn't, didn't get me anything to eat, you, you didn't anoint my hair, you did nothing. But this woman... As soon as I walked in, and then he made, I, I love the, the way the King James Version puts it. He goes, where much is forgiven, the same loveth much. He said, because she's been forgiven much, this, this, this reaction of ministry is a manifestation of the debt being wiped out for the life that she's been living. And she is aware of just how messed up she was. And now because she is forgiven and in heaven has no account because she's been forgiven much her natural response is she wants to love much so Jesus is teaching us when you've been forgiven a lot then then you should have the mindset that you are willing to forgive You've been forgiven, and so it should be in your wheelhouse of your emotions to quickly forgive other people. That should be in the wheelhouse of our emotions. That's the economics of sacrifice. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. The, the, the mindset and ministry of reconciliation is forgiveness has reconciled me to heaven. I need to, to let others know that they can be forgiven from heaven too, and therefore... I should reconcile others to myself and help others do the same thing. In other words, the ministry of reconciliation is not just, you know, me getting my relationship right with you or you getting your relationship right with somebody who hurt you, even though that's a part of it. But the, the ministry and the message of reconciliation is if I can help you get your relationship with somebody right, I should do that. In other words, you and I need to be in the ministry of creating bridges, not walls. 
We should be in the ministry of, of uh, healing relationships, not fueling the fire of bitterness and anger. We, we should be in the ministry of helping people to forgive. The economics of sacrifice is equal reconciliation. And it all begins with forgiveness. We're going to learn how to forgive. Somebody said this once. I said, to forgive is to turn the key and open the cell door and let the prisoner run free, go free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare this person is not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that you can never ever find it again. To forgive is to to bundle up all the garbage and the trash uh, and dispose of it, leaving the house or the room clean. Some of your parents need to go home and tell your children it's time to forgive your bedroom. <laughs> to forgive is to grant full pardon to a condemned criminal. To forgive is to relax a stranglehold that you have on an opponent that you are wrestling with. To forgive is to sandblast, repaint a wall that's being graffitied and make it all new. To forgive is to take a clay pot, smash it into thousands of pieces so it can never be repaired again. And forgiveness is so important to God that he dedicated a whole book to it. The book of Philemon is all about forgiveness. The whole book. And it's a small book. Only 25 verses. That's all it is. 25 verses. Just a really small book. I, 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 it was one of my favorite books when I first got saved. Not because of the, 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 the content in it, but because it was only 25 verses. And, and if I'm being honest today, prior to salvation, I had never read. This is a terrible thing. But I'd never read a book cover to cover. The, the Bible is the first book I've ever read cover to cover. But I'd never read, before I got saved, a book cover to cover. And I know some of you intelligent people are like, well, how did you pass the book reports at school? And well, I had a system. I found out that if I just looked at the title, read the back of the book, read the preface, flicked through some chapters, just got a little bit of information. And then if I, at lunchtime, found the brainy kid, you could always find the brainy kid. They're over here eating kale. And they're wearing glasses and they're doing a Sudoku puzzle at recess. And you just sit beside the brandy kid and go, hey, what do you think of this new book report that we're doing? I really like this bit. And you just open the door and brainy people want to unload braininess on you instantaneously. And so they're, well, my favorite part's chapter five. And they just get down there. And in my head, I'm thinking, chapter five, remember, remember, remember it all. And I'm remembering and I'd write that down later. And then you just find another brainy kid. They're still eating kale. You don't know why. And uh, Sudoku puzzle, he took, oh, well, my favorite chapter is chapter five. And they're going to tell, oh, chapter three is mine. And by the time you've spoken to three or four brainy kids, you've got a whole book report. That's how I did it when I was at school. And if you're a teenager, ignore everything I just said. And so when I got to becoming a Christian, I'd never read a book. And then people are like, you've got to read the Bible. 
And I picked up the Bible and it was like, this is really big. This, this is so much bigger than spot runs in the park, you know? And so, and, and so I, and, and so I come up with this idea. Well, they, they call these epistles books. So the Bible, they told me, is 66 books. And there's 66 books in the Bible. So if I read a book, I can say, and that's what I did. I, I, I started reading every small book. I started in Philemon, worked my way through, and I just started marking it off in my Bible until I eventually got the whole Bible out. And then now I'm in the habit of reading, and so I can get to read it from cover to cover. And so, but this is one of the first books, only, only 25 verses in the book. And in here, there are three main characters that feature in the epistle. There's the Apostle Paul. Verse 1 says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. We, we notice that here. Paul uh, uh, starts the book differently than any other epistle that he is writing. He usually says, Paul, an apostle, called of God, mandated with his authority. But here he's just like, Paul, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm your friend. This is a private letter from a friend to a friend. He sets the tone of what he's about to ask for because he doesn't say, I'm a, an apostle. He says, I am a prisoner. I'm, a, I'm, I'm in jail. And Paul has the mindset and the ministry of reconciliation. And it brings in the next person, the, probably the main character, if you like, Philemon. This is who the book is addressed to. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, some theologians say that Aphia is more likely to be his wife. Archippus is probably his son. But we know that they are in the church that's in his house. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's addressing it to Philemon. Now we know that Philemon is a leader. He's a co-worker. He's got a church in his house. So Paul is sending a letter to his friend Philemon, a man that they say most likely got saved under his ministry. Philemon is also leading a ministry in his house. And so they have common relationships. They are friends. Paul says this in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and to all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. So Paul says, when I, when, I, when I think about you, I just don't think about you as a leader of a church. I, I think about how wonderful you are. I, I think about what a, a nice person you are. I, I think about how people, when they hang out with you, they just feel so much better. So Paul's prayer for Philemon acknowledges some of the great traits that are in his personality. When I think about you, I think of love and faith. When I, when I think about you, I, I think of joy and comfort. When I, when I think about you, Philemon, I think about all the people that are being refreshed from your ministry. Anybody got a friend like that, that you hang around with and you're like, man, when I hang out with you, I just feel so much better. Then it introduces the third main character of this epistle. His name is Onesimus. Verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, 
I prefer to appeal to you. I, I love that. I, my, my authority, I could tell you what to do. But for love's sake, I, I, I want to I, I, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Christ Jesus, I, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. Now, the background of Onesimus goes like this. Onesimus was once a slave to Philemon, and he's run away. Theologians tell us multiple reasons why he may have run away, may have been unhappy uh, of the situation, was most likely born into the situation that was a part of the culture of that day, and decided, I want something better. Uh, I, I would suggest to you, that this whole thing of, of Onesimus being a slave to Philemon, for most of us, is like, this is a really hard thing to grapple with. I, I get that. I would suggest to you that, that, number one, the Bible is not here endorsing it. If you go back and study history, it will give you more of the context of what's happening. I could go into that today. That's not the purpose of the message. So I'm not like bypassing because I don't want to deal with it. It's just not a part of the message today. And I would suggest to you, if you need to know more, that you go back and, and read more. And we're going to find out a God plan in the end of this anyway. And so he'd, he'd run away from Philemon. And some scholars say that it's most likely that he stole money from Philemon. And so he stole money and he's trying to better his own life. And, and this is his situation. And the economics of sacrifice, reconciliation, says that, that Paul is trying to create a zero balance between these two men and get a fresh start happening. Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now, indeed, he is useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he may serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, Onesimus' name means useful. So he says, I know he's useless now. He used to be useful. Now, now he's useless. But I want to reconcile this relationship so that he can be useful again. He can be restored to who God has calling him to be. Reconciliation is where we're, we're aiming to bring relationship healing, but fullness to both of you again. So reconciliation is not just a moment, it's a mindset. In verse 14, I, I love this. I, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be out of compulsion, but out of your own accord. He said, I, I want you to make the decision. You need to decide to do something. Forgiveness, reconciliation is not an emotion that you use in the moment. It's something that you have to do before the moment ever happens. It's a mindset, a well thought out, understood action that can happen without regret. We talked about that last week when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem to reconcile us, that that was a decision in his heart. 
So because Jesus made a decision to, to do this and it was not an emotion, it was a choice when everything got bad and they nailed him to the cross. Because this was a decision that he had predetermined in his heart, he was able to endure the cross, despise the shame and make it to the other side. And we get reconciliation through his blood because he had a predetermined decision. It was a choice, not an emotion. If it was just an emotion, when the going got tough, he may have just got off the cross. They were, they were telling me, they were wagging their heads and saying, come on, you saved others, save yourself. If it was just an emotion, he may have said, oh, that's a really good point and came on down. And you and I would be lost in our sin. But because reconciliation and forgiveness happens, if you need a timeline, God said that he forgave us before the foundation of the world. In, in other words, God said, forgiving you, at the, uh, providing reconciliation and, and, and making it right is something I've already decided in my heart I want to do for you. Now, whether you want to receive it or not, it's your choice. But I want to do that for you. For God so loved the world that he gave. That even if you'd never believed in him, he would have gave. He would have given it's an action that begins with an attitude. I can forgive you because I did that before I needed to. If you can allow forgiveness to get in to be a part of your spiritual and soul DNA, you can forgive people before they've even hurt you, before they've ever done anything wrong. It's a desire in your heart made with the wisdom of your head and an act of your will. That's what forgiveness is. That's how reconciliation comes. In different translations, I love this. I, I didn't want anything without your consent so that your goodness will not be out of compulsion, but by your own free will. I, I, I did not want to do anything without asking you first. Then any favor you do for me will be because you want to do it, not because I forced you to do it. I, I, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of free will. So Paul's saying, listen, I, I, I'm giving you the option. I, I'm, I'm coming to you. I want you to make a choice. I don't want to force you to do that because then it's going to be short-lived. It's not going to work. You've got to make a choice in your own heart. It's a, it's a mindset. And I believe that the, the, the mindset of the church, we need to move our mindset into being one of reconciliation. The mindset of reconciliation requires finding a bigger plan. It requires finding a bigger purpose or some level of benefit from the difficulty or the issue it, that, that's at hand. Or finding the God moment in the pain. As Joseph said to his brothers who sold him into slavery because they wanted him to die. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He never said, it's okay, guys. What you did is totally cool. I'm happy with it. Now he said, what you did was evil. That was messed up. You guys are bad people. And, and, and who I am right now is the second most powerful man in the land. Could kill you like that. I could just kill you. Take you and wipe you out. When you sold me and wanted to kill me, that's terrible. 
when Potiphar's wife falsely accused me, that's terrible. When I was in jail and they forgot about me, that, and all that's messed up. I'm not happy about any of it, but I'm not angry about any, with anybody. Why? Because I've forgiven you. I, you don't owe me nothing. Why? Because I've been able to find the God particle in what's happened. Verse 15, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul says to him, I I know that what happened in the economics and the structure of the day is bad. But I, I want you to think of the big picture here. Even though he was take, ran away from you and even though he potentially stole from you, he's saved. He's a brother in Christ. And, and, and if we can return him and you can reconcile this relationship together, then he can be more than he ever was before. He used to be useful. Now he's become useless. But if there can be a restoration, he can be more. He can now be a brother to you as he is a brother to me. We are brothers in Christ. There needs to be a turnaround of this situation. It's easy to have a mindset of reconciliation and the ministry of it when you can repurpose the offense, the hurt, the pain, the brokenness, the disappointment and rejection with grace. When you can take all those things that were meant to break you and say, you know what, they they, they ended up making me who I am. You don't have to like it, but you can redeem it. You You never have to say, oh man, I'm glad that happened to me. There are a whole heap of things in my life. I am not glad they happened to me. They are horrible. I wouldn't wish them on my worst. And, 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 I, and I know our church. There are things that have happened to you. There's things that happen to people online. You never have to get to the point like, well, that, well, now I'm glad that happened. No, you don't have to be glad it happened. You can dislike that it happened. But you can say, even in that horrible situation, as messed up as that was, I can find something to redeem. I can find something to get out of it that has made me a better person. Even at the end of the day, if all I have is a testimony... And I can tell other broken people how I got through it. Your brokenness got healed by God. You don't have to go, I'm glad I've got the brokenness. But we all know that there are probably other people that got broken the same way. None of you have to be happy about it. But you can say, I I know how you felt. And the message of reconciliation is that God can reconcile you to him. He can reconcile you to you and get you back to being useful and healed and whole. That's the objective here. And then he can reconcile you to a place that you're no longer angry and bitter and resentful and disappointed and and a victim of that, that you can rise up on the other side and you can have victory. And then when you have that victory... When you have that victory, now you're a Christian. You've got the message of reconciliation. And I promise you on your journey, you're going to find somebody who walked through the same pain and the same horror. And you can go, you never have to like it. Listen, you never have to trust that person again who did that to you. People get forgiveness and trust mixed up. 
I can forgive you but never trust you. You can, you can ask to borrow off me $10,000. I can lend you $10,000 and you don't pay me back. And I can get to the point, I go, you know what, I forgive you that debt. I, you don't owe me any money anymore. I'm, I'm, I, I don't want that contract. I'm wiping it out. You don't owe me any money. You come back to me the next week, now I've paid off the debt, and you say, hey, man, can I borrow $10,000? My answer is going to be no. <laughs> and you're going to be like, bro, I thought you forgave me. I did. That's why you don't owe me any money. So why don't you give me some more money? Because I didn't like it when you owed me money. And I know if you give me money, you're going to owe me money. I don't want to have to do it all over again. So I forgive you, but I don't need to trust you. So if that person broke you when you were little, you need to forgive them, but you don't need to let them look after your kids. (laughs) Forgiveness and trust are two very, very different things. And the ministry of reconciliation should be the ministry of every Christian. I I love verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I'm going to pay it. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing, I, I love, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you, and the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. I, I love the way Paul writes, because he's like, hey, listen, if he owes you anything, if he owes you anything, I've got it. I, I've got it covered. That's cool. How many think that's cool? So if you owe, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay that. If he owes you, he owes you cash, I've got it. I'll just put it on my account. And then he goes, but having said that, don't forget, you owe me. Faith without hints is dead. It's like, it's like the ultimate suggestion here. But what he's doing is he's saying, listen, I forgive you. You can forgive him. We're in this ministry together. This should be the mindset of who we are. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. Reconcile this relationship. You and I have not only been called to have the mindset of reconciliation, we've been called to have the ministry of reconciliation, and we as Christians should act out our priestly duty. We are kings and priests before him. The word priest comes from the word poiman, and it means a bridge builder. When I hang out with you, are you building bridges of relationship or walls? Are are, are we building bridges or burning bridges? Are we bringing life or are we bringing confusion? Are we bringing unity or are we bringing division? How do you handle somebody else's division? How do you handle somebody else's criticism? How do you handle someone else's hurt? How do you handle someone else's bitterness? Do you just load on to the problem and add to it? Yeah, they offended me too. Yeah, they made me angry. Are you adding to the problem? If the same person hurt both of you, the ministry of reconciliation goes like this. You hurt me, I forgive you. I'm going to work through that. Somebody comes to me and they say, you hurt them. The ministry of reconciliation says, well, then you need to forgive them. How can we work through this? We either take you and confront them, talk about it. Maybe you misunderstood it. I'm going to reconcile you to them. The ministry of division does this. Yeah, they did that to me. Jerks. I know how you feel. They hurt me like, ooh, let's go. <laughs> then you get this little group of other people. I know Mary's got this person up. Now, now you're all gathered around. You're like, that's not Christian behavior. That's not godly behavior. 
That's not how we should respond as the church. We've been given the mindset and the ministry and the opportunity to be bigger than every situation. Bible says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's that sacrifice of reconciliation. It's equal reconciliation. Reconciliation is the ultimate cancel culture. But rather than cancel the person, we cancel the feeling that they owe us something. Rather than canceling the person, we cancel the offense. Rather than canceling the person, we cancel our anger. Rather than canceling the person, we cancel our bitterness. Rather than canceling the person, we cancel our resentment. Rather than canceling the person, we cancel the hurt. We cancel the right thing, not the wrong thing. And the right thing is what they've done, not who the person is. The ministry of reconciliation makes us bigger than the situation. It puts you in the driver's seat. The economics of sacrifice is equal forgiveness. It's equal reconciliation. We are to be kind. We're to be tenderhearted. We're to bear with one another. The book of Colossians says, Russell, you guys can come up. I think that the church in 2020 had a moment when it could have been fantastic. In 2020, the, the real pandemic was not a virus that came around, even though that was bad. The real pandemic was not masks. The real pandemic wasn't, wasn't the isolation, the lockdowns. The real pandemic wasn't the vaccine. The real pandemic... I think in the church was our reaction to all of that. The most deathly destructive germ in the kingdom of God was our division. I've never seen the church more divided. I've never seen people filled with more resentment and hate over things that didn't matter. People hated people, hated them when they wore a mask. Do you know how dumb that is? It's like hating someone because they wore a t-shirt. Why well, I don't want to wear them. Don't wear it. Don't be angry at somebody else because they did. And the people who wore the mask, they were angry. The people who didn't wear a mask. Don't be angry. Just don't go close. Don't let them breathe on you. People were angry at the wrong things. And they'll fuel their anger because of isolation. They just started thinking of themselves, me, my, my thing. There's no one else around. Me, my, me, my, my, me, my, my, my. They're angry at the lockdowns. They're angry at the government for lockdowns. And they're angry at the wrong people. Government had nothing to do with lockdowns. It was worship leaders. It was. Prior to the lockdown, we're singing things like, nothing else, nothing else but you. I want nothing else. Just, we sang that over and over. I remember that song, nothing else. I want nothing, not, take it all away, nothing else. And then God gave us nothing else. He took away your job. He took away your friends. He took away church. He took away the movies. He took away everything. 
He took it away. So now you're in your house with nothing else but me. How are you going? Well, oh, I hate the government. No, I hate the worship people. Not these guys, because Russell didn't write the song. The other people. Church down the road. But we just got agitated against each other. Can you imagine how different it would have been had when the world was going crazy, the church got unified? In 9-11, people flocked to the church because we were a source of hope. But after 2020, 2021, people weren't flocking to the church. The church was so down in numbers, instead of counting people, pastors referred to percentages back pre-COVID. And if you had 30% of your church back in the building of your pre-COVID numbers, you were considered to be a really strong church. And people stayed away because they were divided and angry at the church instead of being unified together. Unified together. Well, what's your position, John, on masks or no masks? None of your business. Doesn't matter now. It's not 2020 anymore. But why does it matter? Why would it matter? Why would it matter? Why? It's irrelevant. What is, what can we come together and what can we love each other on? How, how can we be the church and reconcile? And when the church is at its, each other's throat in the kingdom, it's really hard to display our love to the rest of the world. When we're beaten up on each other, we're reading a book in my, my small group, and I encourage everyone to get in a life group. We're reading a book. We read this last chapter of the book, and this guy's pretty much beating up on other churches. And I was agitated. I told the guys, I said, I hate that chapter. Because I feel like he's attacking the church. With, 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 and not even intelligently. We're not called to attack. We're called to build bridges. There shouldn't be division in here amongst us. There should be love amongst us. When people, that, that's why, I've got to be honest with you. One of the reasons I love, to, to Anna and I count pastoring Word of Life Church as the ultimate, like, awesomeness of God. I, 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 I come, I, I look at your faces and we have so many different nationalities and cultures. Some of you sit here Sunday after Sunday and with my accent, you're like, I really don't understand anything he's saying. <laughs> But you show up, why? Because we love each other. We love each other. Some of you, the first part of our service today, you came in, you're new to church, and some of you, the first part of our church service, you were angry because we're singing songs and you thought we'd written the words up in tongues. But then you found out it was Spanish. And we don't do that every week if you're visiting. We don't do that, but we're doing it today because we have our Latin food festival. We're embracing the culture. A couple of weeks ago, we did an African food festival. A couple of weeks, we're doing our international Christmas. We celebrate our diversity. We celebrate our cultural diversity. I love Word of Life. It's, a, it's an honor. We've got, we've got like close to 100 kids in junior high today worshiping God. And we've got, we got little kids in our children's ministry. I, I love Word of Life. And, and this is like, for me, the trophy. Margaret Bumgarner is 98 years of age, just turned 98. She makes, she makes Pastor Dan look like a spring chicken. 
he's only 52. But you think about the, the age and the culture and the backgrounds, and he brings us together as this beautiful family. Don't you think that's the, don't you think that's the purpose of reconciliation? Even some of you that, that, that hated me when I first got here, you come to church now and think, man, he is less demon-possessed than I thought he originally was. Oh, so beautiful. That's, that's the spirit of the kingdom of God. Girls, you can come right up and stand. So thank you. Thank you for being such a wonderful church. But can we be like that? Can we, can we, can we be people? Can Word of Life Church be actually known? Obviously, we want to be known for Jesus. But can, can we be known as a place that genuinely pursues healing? that genuinely pursues reconciling broken relationships, that genuinely cultivates an attitude. Do you know, I've been in ministry now close to oh, over 30, close to 40 years, and, and there's not one person on the planet I dislike or hate. I have no unforgiveness towards anybody on planet Earth. No one. There's not one person I could tell you that I, that I hate or dislike. Not one person. Well, you know, I probably don't agree with, but, but no one I hate. And, and it's not because John Morgan is good. It's because Jesus is good to John Morgan. And Jesus commands me to do that. And, and, and that what I'm saying to you is not because I'm good. It's just because I want to be obedient. Has it always been e easy? Oh, no. Oh, no. Not at all. Not at all. But is it what it is? Yeah. Why? Because Jesus forgave me. And the sacrifice of reconciliation. It